0: Annihilation.
1: Annihilation. 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 Naked, I am without a sheet to wind me. Even vacant sleep won't shroud me tonight. So exposed, I notice the blood thinning in my corpse veins. Hear the shrinking of skin. See bare limbs decompose in the darkness. Lost, a tragedy without a body scraps of lament. My love, I loved you well. Distract me in this bed that is a tree, where we should lie together. My love, I kept you well. Forgive my wanton grief, like musk in the box and wire in the reed. In this bed that is a tree, where night falls, and things are not as they seem. When night falls, the sea is a distant death. Your bones roll in the wash of the breakers, and I hold the living near to me, saved. My love, I kept you well. This bed, this tree. Easing wanton grief, they come to caress. My dreamless breast, but you come to me too. The listing hull of a driftwood ship. My love, I loved you well. This tree, this bed. So much done in darkness, unsaid. Night work. Scorns the loom's reed. Wires that would keep threads. Apart are sidestepped. We come together, barbed in intimacy. Secrets well kept. I look for you in them, my love. Don't know what they see in me. Aggrieved, perhaps. Talons and beaks, the sharp flaunted freedom of a woman always dreaming an eagle, lamenting like musk in the box and wire. Kim Lasky, The Bed That Is a Tree The script says Lena controls her fear, knuckles white around the grip of her rifle. Interior, under the lighthouse slash tunnel, continuous. Lena makes her way down the tunnel, gun raised. The walls continue the curve of the lighthouse above and the floor is sloping downwards, which means the passage is corkscrewing into the ground. It is unclear how the rock has been cleared. The walls, ceiling, and floor are made of smooth black rock, like obsidian. The rock is rippled, as if worn smooth by an ancient stream or lava flow. It is seamed with phosphorescence, illuminating everything in the way that sea creatures light their way in the depths. And the walls seem to be moving, or gently undulating, The surface of the walls are covered in cilia, tiny anemone arms waving, caught in the flow of slow-moving water. The flow movement is down, deeper into the tunnel, as if what lies inside is feeding on what lies outside and being channeled along a vein and capillary structure. Interior, under the lighthouse-slash-tunnel, continuous. As if from Lena's POV. We continue. And as we circle downwards, the ripples on the smooth black rock walls become more pronounced, then stop being random undulations and become forms. Organic, embedded into the rock like fossils. First, there are fractal plant shapes. Leaf, branch, fern. Then in the flora, there are animals. The patterned armor of an alligator, or its teeth, or the fat swirl of a tail. The snout and claw of a bear. The curls of snakes. The feather imprints of bird's wings. And then, we start to see humans a torso, an arm, a face trying to push out from between the other forms, or fingertips stretched out as if trying to grab or be grabbed. The tunnel has become a tableau, a boiling sea of people and creatures, melded and frozen in black marble. Animal into plant, plant into human, human into animal. And then, movement. Treacle slow, but unambiguous, no longer frozen, no longer fossils. The walls are alive, or the things inside them are not dead, and at the moment of that realization, the tunnel suddenly stops and opens out into a chamber. Interior, under the lighthouse-slash-chamber, continuous. The chamber is roughly semi-spherical, three-quarters of a sphere with the bottom leveled out into a floor. The sculpted forms of humans and animals continue across the floor, but as they rise up the walls, they taper into curved points. Either side of these points, the walls are glassy-smooth. The arrangement is similar to petals, as if we are on the inside of a flower before it has unfurled, the interior of a vast lotus bulb. The very center of the chamber is particularly bright, because it is to here that the phosphorescent veins and channels all lead. And standing on this brightest point is Dr. Ventress. The doctor is internally lit. Cilia cover her skin like undulating fur. She shimmers gently. Lena hesitates in the entrance. She looks around, up at the pedal structure, down at the energy feed beneath Dr. Ventress, then back to the glowing figure of the doctor. Echoes of the tower from Vandermeer's novel. Quote, I'll go first and see what's down there, the surveyor said, finally, and we were happy to defer to her. The initial stairwell curved deeply downward and the steps were narrow, so the surveyor would have to back her way into the tower. We used sticks to clear the spider webs as she lowered herself into position on the stairwell. She teetered there, weapon slung across her back, looking up at us. She had tied her hair back and it made the lines of her face seem tight and drawn. Was this the moment when we were supposed to stop her? To come up with some other plan? If so, none of us had the nerve. With a strange smirk, almost as if judging us, the surveyor descended until we could only see her face framed in the gloom below, and then not even that. She left an empty space that was shocking to me, as if the reverse had actually happened, as if a face had suddenly floated into view out of the darkness. I gasped, which drew a stare from the psychologist. The anthropologist was too busy staring down into the stairwell to notice any of it. Is everything okay? The psychologist called out to the surveyor. Everything had been fine just a second before. Why would anything be different now? The surveyor made a sharp grunt in answer, as if agreeing with me. For a few moments more we could still hear the surveyor struggling on those short steps. Then came silence, and then another movement, at a different rhythm. Which, for a terrifying moment seemed like it might come from a second source. But then the surveyor called up to us, Clear to this level. This level. Something within me thrilled to the fact that my vision of a tower was not yet disproven. That was the signal for me to descend with the anthropologist, while the psychologist stood watch. Time to go, the psychologist said, as perfunctorily as if we were in school and a class was letting out. An emotion that I could not quite identify surged through me, and for a moment I saw dark spots in my field of vision, I followed the anthropologist so eagerly down through the remains of webs and the embalmed husks of insects into the cool brackishness of that place that I almost tripped her. My last view of the world above, the psychologist peering down at me with a slight frown, and behind her the trees, the blue of the sky almost blinding against the darkness at the sides of the stairwell. Below, shadows spread across the walls. The temperature dropped and sound became muffled, the soft steps absorbing our tread. Approximately twenty feet beneath the surface, The structure opened out into a lower level. The ceiling was about eight feet high, which meant a good twelve feet of stone lay above us. The flashlight of the surveyor's assault rifle illuminated the space, but she was faced away from us, surveying the walls, which were an off-white and devoid of any adornment. A few cracks indicated either the passage of time or some sudden stressor. The level appeared to be the same circumference as the exposed top, which again supported the idea of a single solid structure buried in the earth. It goes farther, the surveyor said and pointed with her rifle to the far corner, directly opposite the opening where we had come out onto that level. A rounded archway stood there, in a darkness that suggested downward steps. A tower, which made this level not so much a floor as a landing, or part of the turret. She started to walk toward the archway while I was still engrossed in examining the walls with my flashlight. Their very blankness mesmerized me. I tried to imagine the builder of this place, but could not. I thought again of the silhouette of the lighthouse, as I had seen it during the late afternoon of our first day at base camp, We assumed that the structure in question was a lighthouse because the map showed a lighthouse at that location and because everyone immediately recognized what a lighthouse should look like. In fact, the surveyor and anthropologist had both expressed a kind of relief when they had seen the lighthouse. Its appearance on both the map and in reality reassured them, anchored them. Being familiar with its function further reassured them. With the tower, we knew none of these things. We could not intuit its full outline. We had no sense of its purpose. And now that we had begun to descend into it, the tower still failed to reveal any hint of these things. The psychologist might recite the measurements of the top of the tower, but those numbers meant nothing, had no wider context. Without context, clinging to those numbers was a form of madness. There's a regularity to the circle, seen from the inside walls, that suggests precision in the creation of the building, the anthropologist said. The building. Already she had begun to abandon the idea of it being a tunnel. All of my thoughts came spilling out of my mouth some final discharge from the state that had overtaken me above. But what is its purpose? And is it believable that it would not be on the maps? Could one of the prior expeditions have built it and hidden it? I asked all of this and more, not expecting an answer. Even though no threat had revealed itself, it seemed important to eliminate any possible moment of silence, as if somehow the blankness of the walls fed off of silence, and that something might appear in the spaces between our words if we were not careful. Had I expressed this anxiety to the psychologist, she would have been worried, I know. But I was more attuned to solitude than any of us, and I would have characterized that place in that moment of our exploration as watchful. A gasp from the surveyor cut me off in mid-question, no doubt much to the anthropologist's relief. Look, the surveyor said, training her flashlight down into the archway. We hurried over and stared past her, adding our own illumination. A stairway did indeed lead down, this time at a gentle curve with much broader steps, but still made of the same materials at about shoulder height, perhaps five feet high, clinging to the inner wall of the tower. I saw what I first took to be dimly sparkling green vines progressing down into the darkness. I had a sudden, absurd memory of the floral wallpaper treatment that had lined the bathroom of my house when I had shared it with my husband. Then, as I stared, the vines resolved further, and I saw that they were words. In cursive, the letters raised about six inches off the wall. the delight, I said, and pushed past them down the first few steps. Blood was rushing through my head again a roaring confusion in my ears. It was an act of supreme control to walk those few paces. I couldn't tell you what impulse drove me, except that I was the biologist and this looked oddly organic. If the linguist had been there, perhaps I would have deferred to her. Don't touch it, whatever it is, the anthropologist warned. I nodded, but I was too enthralled with the discovery. If I'd had the impulse to touch the words on the wall, I would not have been able to stop myself. As I came close, Did it surprise me that I could understand the language the words were written in? Yes. Did it fill me with a kind of elation and dread intertwined? Yes. I tried to suppress the thousand new questions rising up inside of me. In as calm a voice as I could manage, aware of the importance of that moment, I read from the beginning aloud. Where lies the strangling fruit that came from the hand of the sinner, I shall bring forth the seeds of the dead to share with the worms that… Then the darkness took it. Words? Words the anthropologist said. Yes, words. What are they made of? The surveyor asked. Did they need to be made of anything? The illumination cast on the continuing sentence quavered and shook. Where lies the strangling fruit became bathed in shadow and in light as if a battle raged for its meaning. Give me a moment. I need to get closer. Did I? Yes, I needed to get closer. What are they made of? I hadn't even thought of this though I should have. I was still trying to parse the lingual meaning, had not transitioned to the idea of taking a physical sample. But what relief at the question, because it helped me fight the compulsion to keep reading, to descend into the greater darkness and keep descending until I had read all there was to read. Already those initial phrases were infiltrating my mind in unexpected ways, finding fertile ground. So I stepped closer, peered at where lies the strangling fruit, I saw the letters connected by their cursive script were made from what would have looked to the layperson like rich green fern-like moss, but in fact was probably a type of fungi or other eukaryotic organism. The curling filaments were all packed very close together and rising out from the wall. A loamy smell came from the words along with an underlying hint of rotting honey. This miniature forest swayed, almost imperceptibly, like seagrass in a gentle ocean current. End quote. tunnel and chamber beneath the lighthouse are nothing like this in the film
0: getting ahead of ourselves andrew whitehurst visual effects supervisor and then the physical structure of the shimmer on the outside once we'd started designing the the alien itself and we we used a 3d fractal form called a mandelbrot bulb as our basis for this alien creature and that creates these interesting almost gothic structures just by the nature of the way that the equations work. Those are the shapes that it produces. We were able to use those and warp those and unwrap those to create this sort of wall around the most outer extent of the shimmer. When you first see the shimmer that's what you're looking at is this mathematical structure that is then echoed at other points throughout the film but is finally resolved in the the alien that's encountered at the chamber at the end.
1: The tunnel and the chamber beyond is dark and smooth and shiny but not plain in any way. Its parts are smooth, but its parts are many. The tunnel, as Lena goes down into it as this minute begins, is ridged like a biological space, an esophagus, or a spine turned inside out. Natalie Portman, Lena. Alex has such an amazing um, eye, like artistic eye, and and I think it's going to be really unique to have the whole movie sort of be outside in nature, and all of a sudden it really becomes very black and white almost, in the... Um, interior of the lighthouse and the forms are so they look like biological forms like plant or animal or something and but also very alien so i think it'll be quite beautiful andrew
0: whitehurst and actually the chamber itself i worked with art department to make that so that that is also a mandel bulb so I would sit down with Marco and Mish and Dennis and go, well, you know, how complicated do you want it? And they you know, sort of render something and go, too complicated. And I'd go make it But simply, like, yeah, kind of like that. And then I would be able to give them that geometry and then they were able to get the thing CNC machined. So the, actually the whole environment that that scene takes place in is a mandel bulb. So you've got a mandelbulb within a mandel bulb. Mark Digby, production designer. The chamber set and the lighthouse set, people who've poked their heads in so far are quite amazed by that. It's the culmination of of the journey, I think, in terms of
1: um, of the drama, of the um,
0: change. It's, all, it's, it's, the, it's, what, it's where it's all started from and we're backtracking to that. I think there's, there's great scale and detail of out-of-control growth and, um, you know, mutant change.
1: The biomechanical structure is a larger form of the mandibulb we will see in minute 94. But it is also reminiscent of the forms and the artwork of H.R. Giger, who, of course, famously designed the xenomorph alien for 1979's *Alien* and its sequels and spin-offs, a series in which aliens use humans to reproduce. Second one, we look up from inside the tunnel, angled so the circular hole is more the form of an alien eye socket. Lena, its deformed pupil, looking down at us. We hear Ventress's voice as Lena moves forward, but indistinct. Maybe she says something about heaven. Lena raises her rifle and holds it with both hands again. She crouches at the opening and takes aim into the tunnel, directly at camera. or Ventress's voice. Maybe she says something about change. Lena lowers her rifle slowly, perplexed. Then abruptly she lets the rifle swing down into just her right hand, puts her left hand on the edge of the circle, and starts to climb into the tunnel. Second twenty-seven angle from across the main room of the lighthouse, past the camcorder on its tripod. On Lena, crawling into the tunnel. Strangely, just as Kane had two shadows before, the light from the hole in the wall, now above and behind camera, seems to come down in two separate locations, one at the center of the floor, one just above and to the right of the tunnel. Lena hesitates after she has both feet in the tunnel, sitting on the edge of the circle, then continues. Second thirty-seven, the view from down the tunnel. Lena in silhouette, hunched over, making her way down. Second fifty-one, Angle from across the new chamber, past Ventress, on Lena, on the verge of exiting the tunnel. And there is something wrong with Ventress. Her face catches a little bit of light, and it might not be obvious yet, but her skin is black, and she has no eyes. She sways slightly. Behind her, Lena enters the chamber. Second 57, Angle on Lena, emerging from the tunnel. Camera dollying backward, as time runs out for this minute.
0: We spoke. What was it we said? Wordlessly
1: watching, he waits by the window and wanders at the empty place inside.